I'm Doyle, your congregational care pastor. I want to thank you for joining us for a Sunday worship gathering. Today we continue in our Proclaim message series. So let's prepare our hearts to hear what God has for us today. And please give a warm welcome to my friend, Dr. Derry Long. Hey, good morning. Welcome on this brisk morning. Great to see you here. We're uh, going through a series of Christmas for Proclaim and looking at various people who, uh, who are part of that Christmas story. This morning it's the wise men. And, uh, you know, if you're like me, you might have grown up singing We Three Kings of Orientar. Uh, actually, there were four kings. Uh, rumor has it that the three kings who brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh as a gift, the fourth king brought uh, fruitcake, and so he was stricken from the record. And, uh, and you know... <laughs> You only get that if you, you read Far Side, which, <laughs> which I always keep by my Bible. So uh, anyway, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 2, read a passage of Scripture for about the Magi. Then we're going to walk our way through some of the details of that passage. And then look at three things that have to do with having a godly pursuit, a meaningful pursuit in your life that these three wise men, these three magi illustrate. So let's look at the scripture first from Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel." Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way and the star that they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed, and coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is a fascinating Scripture with lots of little, uh, lots of little details in it that are that are fun to look at. So uh, we're just going to walk our way through some of the early verses of this passage and uh, see what some of it has to say. It says after Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was a little town. It was about six miles south of Jerusalem. Um, probably never had more than a thousand people in the village. But it shows up off and on all the way through the Bible. Uh, For example, uh, uh, Rachel died there. You might remember Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And uh, Jacob fell in love with Rachel. 
Uh, now, on, because of the deceit of Rachel's father, he ended up marrying Leah. And he had to work seven more years uh, in order for uh, Rachel's father to allow him to marry uh, Rachel. The Bible says Leah had weak eyes. I don't, I don't know what that means, but there was something about Leah that was perceived to be defective. But he was in love with Rachel. And the scripture says all of her life, Leah lived with this sense of rejection. And uh, Rachel had two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. And Rachel died in Bethlehem. Then uh, it shows up again. We read about uh, Ruth in the book of Ruth. And uh, you recall that uh, Naomi's husband died and, and uh, a series of deaths in the family. And then Naomi brought Ruth, her daughter-in-law, into contact with Boaz. And eventually they, they married. Well, Ruth and Boaz lived in Bethlehem. Then uh, Bethlehem is mentioned as the city of David. And so now here in uh, Matthew chapter 2, we read this little village just south of Jerusalem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the time of King Herod. Now, King Herod was a, he was a number. Uh, if you were an empire builder, anywhere around the Mediterranean, anywhere in the east, then you wanted to own the piece of land we think of as Israel and Judah because that was a thoroughfare that connected major land masses. And so that area was always uh, in conflict. And so Herod was a nervous leader to start with. He was a little jittery. He was jealous. He was suspicious. Um, he loved to build. He built, uh, he built uh, racetracks and gymnasiums and great buildings. He built the temple in Jerusalem. Um, he was such a builder that he helped build great buildings in other cities like Damascus. He even sent money to have buildings built in, uh, in Athens, Greece. And so he was famous for all of this construction and building. Uh, he was known as a great orator as well. But he had a mean side to him. He was a grisly kind of guy. And the older he got, the more suspicious he got. And... Uh, the meaner he got, and the more cruel. So one historian says it this way, eventually he murdered his favorite wife. <laughs> I think, man, I'd hate to get on the bad side of him, if he, murdering his favorite wife. And then he murdered his, uh, her two sons, and then uh, uh, her mother, then his oldest son, but probably the, probably the one that tells you he's kind of gone over the rail was uh, when he was old and beginning to die, he, he had his soldiers, <laughs> I don't mean to chuckle over something macabre, but he, ha he had his soldiers gather up some of the prominent citizens of the city so that at the point of his death, the soldiers would go over and kill these prominent citizens so at least there would be some sorrow in the city. I think, you know, talk about bad luck if you ended up one of those guys. You're like, why am I being, well, you know, Herod wanted somebody to cry when he died, so we're going to kill you, so somebody will at least be crying. Um, that, that was Herod. So uh, it starts to make sense when you see some of the stealth employed in this story. They're dealing with a despotic ruler. So he's born in Bethlehem, Jesus was during the time of Herod. 
Magi from the east came to Jerusalem. They were probably from the Persia, Iran area. And uh, Magi was somewhat associated with astrology and astronomy. But over the years, it developed into more than that. These were people famous for their knowledge and for their inquiring into knowledge. By this time, they were probably people well-known for their political skill, their skill in science and mathematics, their skill and understanding of spiritual realities. And uh, these were people whose advice were sought out. In their own area or country, they would have been considered uh, advisors to the king. And they, because of that, this wouldn't have been like three people riding in on a horse. They would have been traveling with a large entourage. There would have been soldiers and and servants and slaves and many people and lots of camels and lots of stuff. So when they showed up, and not only that, they were from an area that had once ruled Palestine. So Herod, Herod rules Palestine on behalf of the Roman world. Now some very influential political leaders show up with their whole entourage, and Herod is immediately nervous. The Bible says all of Jerusalem got nervous. Like, what, what are these people doing here? That's the Magi. So after Jesus was born in Bethlehem and Judea during the time of King Herod, the Magi came. He says, where is the one born King of the Jews? We have seen his star. Um, some scholars think that this star was a, an event caused by the coming together of Jupiter and Saturn, a, an event that occurred about every 794 years. But the word for star here is the same word uh, that's used elsewhere for brilliance, meaning it could have been a great light. And throughout the New Testament, you see a great light, whether it was the transfiguration of Christ or whether it was Paul meeting the angel or Christ on the road to Damascus, there was a great light that was part of that, uh, part of that event. And so there's some speculation that this could have simply been a great light. They'd seen a star and they've come to worship him. So Herod was disturbed. Jerusalem was disturbed. He called the chief priests and the uh, teachers, which were the scribes. They were the lawyers. And... Uh, He asked them where the Christ child was to be born. And they knew. They said, well, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. So Herod said uh, to the Magi, you go find out where he is, and then you come and bring me word. Uh, Herod was not very trustworthy. So you find at the end of this passage, they ignored his advice, and they went home a different route. Uh, because of the advice they had received from in a dream or a dream often in these passages refers to the appearance of an angel. When they found Jesus, the Bible says in verse 10, they were overjoyed. They were delighted. Verse 11 says they came to the house. This was about two years after Jesus was born. Uh, Remember the, the shepherds had gone to the stable, but now two years later, Uh, Joseph and Mary were still living in Bethlehem. They came to this house, and when they saw Mary and the child, the Bible says they bowed down and they worshiped him, and then they gave out these gifts. Gold, gold was usually considered the 
the material of kings. Frankincense was often used in the temple. So often it's associated with the priesthood, the priestly activity. The Bible says of Jesus, we have this high priest. Uh, It was also used as a perfume of healing. Myrrh. Myrrh was also a perfume. Among its number of uses, it was used as a tool for embalming. And so some scholars refer to these three gifts as the kingly activity of Jesus and the priestly activity of Jesus and Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross as Savior. Now the thing about that is, whenever you're reading the Bible, God just always has layers and layers. Always layers and layers of meaning. There's never just one thing going on in any verse or any passage. And that's why you can be a believer for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, and you can still go back to the same passages of Scripture and get just another truth, another layer, another insight, because God is the author of Scripture, and so it has the the bottomless feature of the limitless of His nature as part of the Scripture. But along with the other things we see about the Magi, we see that they illustrate for us what it means to have a meaningful pursuit. Um, I was checking out a book lately called, uh, by a guy named Booker called The Seven Basic Plots of Literature. And I do a lot of reading, so I was reading about the seven basic plots of literature. Fascinating Uh, thing about that, you could find all of those plots in the Bible, and I think you could find all of those plots in our own life. Like uh, one plot is overcoming the monster. For you who are going to the new Star Wars movie soon, uh, that's uh, Darth Vader, the monster, and uh, that's a natural part of the... uh, If you went to the movie The Untouchables with uh, uh, Costner and... uh, Sean Connery, the monster is Al Capone, and uh, is overcoming the monster. Rags to riches, that's the Cinderella story. Or in the Bible, it's the story of Joseph. Born down into slavery, up again as the prime minister of Egypt, saving his own country. There's the voyage and return of Alice in Wonderland, or Jesus himself, who was in heaven, went on a voyage to earth, back to heaven, back to earth, Comedy, you see in the writings of Shakespeare, or tragedy, and certainly find tragedy in the Bible where Solomon with all of his riches, and yet he says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Or maybe the most likely to succeed in all of the Old Testament, Saul, who finally so violated every moral code in his life that the Bible says that God withdrew himself from Saul. And rebirth. So we have the story of Paul who was persecuting the Christians and now the great leader of the church or the story of the prodigal son who was in his father's favor then left, wasted all of his money, was feeding the pigs and eating the food of the pigs, returned home to his father where he was welcomed with open arms. But one of the major plots of literature is the quest so every year until we had grandkids, uh, our whole family would go uh, to a movie on Christmas Day. And for three years, 
the movie we went to were the unfolding Lord of the Rings. And if you went to Lord of the Rings, that is The Quest, written by J.R.R. Tolkien, friend of C.S. Lewis. Uh, the Quest always involves an odyssey. It involves a journey from one place to another. And uh, the story about the wise men, this is a story about people on a quest. They'd seen his star. They were wise people. They had studied. But there, were th- there are three features of this quest, of this journey that they were on that can apply to us. The first was they had inquiring minds. They were inquiring people. They asked questions. You know, it's easy to get in a certain place in life where the only people you want to read or be with are people that simply affirm what you already believe. So like if you're a Norwegian, you're only hang around, hanging around with people who actually like Ludifisk. That rules out about 99% of the population, so it's good if you're an introvert. For those of you who've... Ne- for those of you who've never had lutefisk, it's a white fish soaked in lye. Probably need to say no more than that. Mmm. <laughs> you and I can uh, get to a place where we just pull over to the side of the road and we park it. Oh, we keep the engine running. Keep the heat on. We got our little latte or mocha sitting in our, sitting in our little uh, cup holder. My wife's, my wife's view of a good, good car versus a mediocre car is, is which one has the most cup holders. And so you got a little cup holder, and you got your little serious radio, and you got your favorite station on, and, and you know the engine's running, so you can, you can coax yourself into thinking you're going somewhere, but you've actually been parked there a long time. That's no place for a Christian to be. Jesus talked to the disciples. He said, follow. Follow me. And I've been in this for 45 years. And every year, the Lord surprises me with something. Right now, our, uh, our, uh, our lead pastor, Bob Schwann, has asked all the staff to read a book uh, called The Emotionally Healthy Leader by Peter Scacero. This is a good book. If you want to kind of track with where our leadership and team is going and thinking about, go get a copy of this and read it. And uh, then we're supposed to take a couple days, part of a couple days, and just start working our way through some stuff. That's good. And you know, you can work your way through some stuff. Maybe, maybe what you'll need to work on this coming year, some things about discovering yourself. Sin always fragments and it distances us from God, from other people, and from ourselves. Maybe the journey you're on isn't about yourself, it's about your service. It's about what what do I give my life to this year that matters? That matters to me and matters to someone else. How do I use my giftings? Everyone needs a cause. Don't go to bed without a cause. Maybe it's not self or service. Maybe it's Savior. There's just another layer of redemption, 
another layer of walking with Jesus he wants to show you now. It isn't even that he couldn't have showed you earlier. You weren't ready to see it earlier. You know, one of the mantras of my life has been, I can't believe I didn't learn that earlier. Except I realize a lot of things he can't teach me until other things have happened in my life. And so one of the characteristics of the, uh, of the wise men were that they were inquiring people. Nehemiah had a comfortable job, cupbearer to the king, highly trusted. He made a mistake. Some refugees came through, came through town from uh, Jerusalem and he said, hey, how are things back home? They said, things are not good back home. The walls of Jerusalem are torn down. The people are in disarray and humiliation. The Bible says that Nehemiah was so struck by that information that he had not had that he went out and he wept. Moses was raised in the privilege of the palace till one day he went out and walked among his people who were slaves. And when he saw how they were treated, the Lord brought him to a crossroads where he had to decide whose side was he on. The second thing about being on a quest or a journey is uh, if, it, if it has any meaning, you will find a subversive enemy somewhere. If you went to the Global Leadership Summit, you might have heard John Maxwell talk about people who are doing significant things. And he said, if you're involved in something significant, it's uphill all the way. It may look easy to us if we're watching from a distance, but the people who are actually in the fight, it's uphill. And if you're serving Jesus and trying to do something significant, nobody gets out with a clean uniform. Nobody gets out with a clean uniform. In fact, you don't even want to leave the game with a clean uniform. I mean, you really weren't in it. But there's always a subversive element. Sometimes there's people you don't want it, want it to be. You know, if you, if you start changing in an area, you have people in your life, they like you now because of the way you are now. And if you start working on a cause that hasn't been part of your life, some people will champion that and other people will distance themselves from it. Because they're uncomfortable with that cause you're living with. And if it's not someone else, it's certainly Satan, for the Bible says he is the accuser of the brethren. He is the enemy of your soul. And all you need to do is try to do something that is righteous and godly and you stir the monster. And so the Magi show up, and they end up meeting Herod. And Herod's attitude and actions are subversive and deceitful. He wants to slay the Messiah. He's frightened and threatened. And, and with all the, the beauty of the Christmas pageantry that we have about it, in the Christmas story... All the male boys under two were slaughtered. The Bible says a cry went up from the land. Don't think it odd when you set on a righteous course that you meet an enemy. Think it normal. And because of it, number three, 
the, uh, the wise men were prepared. Prepare yourself. When they showed up in Bethlehem and uh, found the Messiah and knelt down and worshiped him, they didn't think, man, we, we should have we bought a gift. We, we, didn't, we, don't, we didn't even get you a card. We, uh, Marcy and I went to uh, Denver a while back and uh, we have a little three, three-year-old grandson called Stace, who's the cutest thing in the world. I, I know, you know. I'm sorry. It's, it's a requirement of parenthood and grandparenthood to think of your grandchildren as the cutest and the smartest. So I'm, I'm just filling the job description. So he's, uh, we walked in, and in this quiet little voice, he says to Marcy, did, did you bring me a present? They came and they had. They had gifts. They were anticipating meeting the Messiah and they were ready for that. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, Ray Allen was being interviewed a while back. Ray Allen had one of the, was one of the greatest scorers in the NBA in history. Played with the Celtics and some other teams. He was famous for his jump shot. And uh, he said often his jump shot was described like this. God just gave him a gift. He says, you know what? God will give you a lot of things, but he won't give you a jump shot. He says, only work gives you a jump shot. Only preparation. We often think we have to prepare ourselves because we'll have enemies, but we also have to prepare ourselves because we'll have opportunities. And if you're not prepared, you can stay in a Holiday Inn Express if you want, but it isn't going to make any difference. You prepare yourself. Somebody asked me once when I was a superintendent about preaching. They said, I have trouble writing a sermon. I said, do you read? Well, no, I have trouble reading too. I said, what do you think? We're all just geniuses. We sit up here and just roll it off the top of our head. He says, I've read a book a week for 15 years. Sometimes two or three books a week. I do that partly because I like to read, but I do that because I like to learn. One of the reasons I told you about the seven plots is because I want to write a sermon on the seven plots and how they, they feature in all of our lives so that even when we're in literature or the Bible or in personal, personal life, we'll find those seven plots because I think there are so many things that are universal. If I go to a physician, I want to know he's got a thing hanging on the wall that says he's prepared. He's prepared to see me. That's not non-spiritual. Nehemiah was prepared to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, or the walls, yeah, the walls of Jerusalem. When the children, when the when the wise men got there, they were prepared. If you go on a quest, be inquiring, ask questions. If you're a Christian, if Christianity is true, it can answer questions. I'm not afraid of the questions. Not only be inquiring, but be prepared for the subversive enemy and be prepared for the opportunities. Now, one of the neat things about the Christmas story is, uh, is that it's part of the kerygma. The kerygma 
is the core teaching of what it means to be a Christian. And I can give you the kerygma in about 35 seconds. That Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. That he was born of the Virgin Mary in a small city called Bethlehem. That he lived and walked on this earth. That he died, crucified death for our sins. That three days later he was resurrected. He rose from the grave. After appearing to many of his disciples, he ascended to heaven where he sits at the right hand of God the Father, interceding and praying for you by name. And that at a time appointed by God, he will return and he will rule over his creation. And that through faith in this risen Savior gives you eternal life. That's the kerygma. And this little story we told today about the wise men, that's part of the kerygma. And it is to this faith that we invite each other every week. It is to this faith we declare, and it is to this faith that Jesus invites you into a journey of discovery. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads as we finish this morning. And you can be part of this journey this morning by placing your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you a prayer in three parts. And it will be an expression of what God wants to put in your heart. Part one is this. You can pray and say, Lord, I have been willful. I have been living my own way, trusting my own wisdom. I know that you've come to redeem me, to forgive me. So, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for going my own way. You can just express that to the Lord right now. You can say, Lord, thank you for caring so much for me that you came to this earth born in a humble place, died on a cross so that I might have eternal life. Thank you for loving me that much. And you you can express that to him right now. You can say, Lord, I want to cross the line of faith. I open the door of my heart and I invite you into my heart to forgive my sins, to give me a cause, to redeem my life. Would you come into my heart, Lord Jesus? And you can invite him into your heart right now. And you can close your prayer by thanking him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing and answering the prayer of my heart this morning. Lord, thank you for your kindness. 
Thank you for your invitation. Thank you for the people like the wise men that you worked through to bring us life. For these who slipped their hands up, I pray that you will, you will give them assurance in their heart that you've heard their prayer, that you give them eternal life, cement their commitment by some physical demonstration so that they will know that you are real. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.